Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know, just ordering schools to open like Trump has uh, done isn't good enough. We've got to do the hard work of getting the virus under control now and over the next two months. And but you're, you're opening now in many cases. But Trump doesn't want to do that hard work. He just wants to order schools to open because he's afraid if he doesn't, it's going to hurt his reelection chances. I don't see this disappearing the way SARS-1 did. It is so efficient in its, its ability to transmit from human to human that I think we ultimately will get control of it. I don't really see us eradicating it. I asked my Republican colleagues, what in the hell are we doing? Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So I know I was joking last week when I called this Mary Trumpcast and beseeched her, Mary, if you're listening, to come on the show, but now I'm not joking. Welcome to Mary Trumpcast, where our prayers have been answered and we finally have an eponymous Trump on Trumpcast. Now, while Ms. Mary Trump might mention her uncle, the president of the United States, I'm also going to ask her about some of the most depressing, sorrowful details of what I expected would at least be a glamorous childhood. Have you read her book, Too Much and Never Enough? Well, if you haven't, you're a traitor to your nation and a toady to Donald Trump because he's made it clear you really should not read this book, which, aside from its merits, might be why the book about how Mary Trump's family created the world's most dangerous man has broken all records for sales. And her runaway bestseller may prove that Mary Trump, the disinherited niece and daughter of the rogue Trump brother, Freddie, whom Mary said the family drove to an early grave, is the one and only great business mind in the family. Wouldn't it be excellent if the niece, who grew up worlds away from her cousin Ivanka in a Trump apartment with rotting walls in Queens, and then had her inheritance snatched out from underneath her, wouldn't it be great if she ended up the rich one and gave it all to Black Lives Matter and Elizabeth Warren and Donald Trump ended up living in the rotted wall of an old Trump property, scratching at the sodden insulation like a rabid mouse? And if the coronavirus vaccine was suddenly foolproof and available to everyone and a new president restored the soul of America? Okay, I gotta catch my breath. Because when Trumpcast has Mary Trump on to slag off Donald Trump and answer all my questions about Russia, sex, and iceberg lettuce, it's just kind of heady. Joining me via Zoom is Mary Trump, PhD, the author of the awesomely incendiary and compulsively readable Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man. Mary, welcome to Trumpcast. Thanks. It is so great to be here, Virginia. I think I'm maybe the person who has hassled you most about this book after maybe the president of the United States. <laughs> I have wanted to have you on since I first heard you'd written this. So really warm welcome. <laughs> Thank you. All right, let's dive in. So there's this parlor game that you know well. Who is Trump? What's his psychology? We all started at the beginning saying he's just like my ex-boyfriend. He's a narcissist. He's this, that. But there are 
important reasons to try to figure him out, namely the reason that Bill Barr proposed at the end of the Mueller investigation. How witting is Donald Trump in some of his um, worst fraud? So did he understand how much help he was getting from the Kremlin? What do you think based on what you know about him? Crazy or crazy like a fox when it comes to his collusion? I think in the context of this question, the most important thing to know about Donald is that he'll accept help of any kind if it benefits him. So this is a man who knows the difference between right and wrong, but Hmm. doesn't think it applies to him if he can get help that's going to advance a, a cause of his. Are there any examples like this in the past? I mean, he's he's worked with people from the former Soviet states for years. Mm-hmm. And does he know that he's dipping into mafia money, mafia help? Does he kind of blind himself to that or does he is he actually conscious? Yeah, again, I can't speak to that specifically. But uh, what I do know is that my grandfather certainly did those things. So in my family, it was kind of an unwritten rule that certain behaviors that would have been crossing a line for other people were okay if you were a, a particular Trump. Not all of us, obviously, but um, if you were a particular Trump. How does that get conveyed to you? I think it's, you know, watching. I believe that, especially through watching how my grandfather treated my dad, mm-hmm. Donald learned very early on, because remember, my, my dad was seven and a half years older. Yeah. So Donald had the the benefit, if you want to call it that, of watching his older brother be abused and criticized and humiliated. But he also had the benefit of seeing how my dad was kind and generous and how much his friends loved him. So the message Donald got was, don't be like Freddie. Yeah. You know, be a killer, be tough. And, you know, all of the kids, well, I'm, I, I don't know about the, the girls in the family, but um, all of the boys worked in my grandfather's office in the summers and, um, you know, maybe on weekends once in a while. So they saw how he operated. You know, they saw how he treated people. They saw uh, the kinds of people he rubbed elbows with. Uh, you know, he was very connected to uh, the, not just the Democratic uh, machine, which was very influential in Brooklyn uh, back in the 40s and 50s. But, you know, mob figures and and, and other unsavory unsavory, uh, (laughs) creatures who, yeah. yeah. I think of Felix Sater giving your cousin Ivanka the tour of the Kremlin, letting her sit in Putin's chair. There's something you bring your kids along to meet the most important people you know, um, even if they're unsavory. So they're almost implicated from the start. But... So your father, Freddie, so Fred Jr., Mm -hmm. um, the first son who would by primogeniture have been the the heir apparent, um, was um, is really at the center of this book. And, you know, just as a memoir, as a family memoir, it's him who's the most compelling character to me. I think maybe I'm just tired of talking about your uncle. So I'm excited (laughs) to see that Fred, that your father, well, not a perfect father or husband, was a lot of fun, which yeah. is something that has is missing from 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 your uncle Donald, who who famously never laughs. Your, yes, your dad was like a prankster, party guy. He had a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. 
unlike his brother. How is that distinction maintained? I mean, Freddie's friends must have thought this incredible bullying nuisance, uncle, your uncle Donald, cannot be the, you know, the star of this family. The star is clearly the pilot, the dashing pilot. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah, they were mystified by it. And one thing I'll say about that is I have spoken to his friends in, recently and to a person, and remember, they haven't seen my dad in decades. He's been dead for, wow, I don't know, almost 40 years now. So wow. they remember him with such fondness and such wow. love. And they say that he was the best person they've ever known. Yeah. And the other thing, my, you know, my mom was telling me stories about when they first met and were, you know, gallivanting around Manhattan and how my dad, who f- had his own little plane, would fly his friends out to Bimini for the weekend or uh-huh. out to Montauk and go fishing on his boat, which he was piloting. Yeah. And I said to her, I was like, do you understand how cool that is? And she's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're all well aware. I mean, that is like the most dashing thing you could do in the, you know, in the 50s and 60s and 70s, right? I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't was. get much better than TWA pilot. So your dad not only had that dispositional advantage, but he also had this skill as a pilot. And sometimes on this show, I've wondered, can Donald Trump do anything Like, he can't toss paper towels in a normal way or go down Mm -hmm. a ramp. We know that. But you also make it clear he can't do business. I mean, can he throw a baseball? Can he? Is there some rubber hits the road moment where, you know, oh, he happens to have this talent. He can solve a Rubik's Cube. I mean, there's the, the hole at the center of him seems to be that he's almost absolutely without merit. I would I would hate to think of him flying a plane, for instance. Oh gosh, uh, no, that would that would be wrong. But you know, when we were kids, he did throw the baseball around with us um, way too hard, quite honestly. Oh. But I, I doubt I doubt he could do that anymore. But it's it's kind of stunning, and I agree with you that somebody with of such privilege, who had all of the opportunities at his disposal in the world. Um, is so limited in scope in every way, you know, in terms of intellectual curiosity, in terms of interests, in terms of skills. So, uh, you know, one of, one of the things that was important for me to convey was the concept of his having been institutionalized essentially for his whole life. This I find fascinating because this is, um, I mean, with your training, you can probably recognize the hallmarks of institutionalization. And yet it's weird to think of Donald Trump as someone like someone who grew up in prison or someone who grew up in an orphanage, Mm -hmm. just with a kind of, I don't know, reality control around Mm -hmm. him all the time. I mean, tell me, walk me through that. Because is military school when it first starts, or is it just being born into the Trump empire? I think it started, well, you know, not his early years, which were harrowing, honestly. But certainly by the time he was a teenager, you know, he's never wanted for anything. He's never had to make a living. Uh, He never has made a living. And, you know, he went, so he went from my grandparents' house to the very regimented military school, back to the house, to my grandfather's company, to the Trump organization, which I view as a sinecure, really, yes. for him. That's a gr- such a great word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, you know, The Apprentice, that, whatever that was, and The White House. 
So these are all, I mean, even though the, the apprentice isn't a, a place, it was an environment that perpetuated the same things that the actual location instead. Everything was taken care of. Nobody said no. Mm-hmm. You were protected from your own failures. Yeah. And you were allowed to succeed despite those failures. And, and people bowed and scraped to him on right. that show. I mean, that's just right. literally, they, I mean, yeah. that stage set, I'll never, I'll never forget that the set, you know, he had just been bankrupt and, and they were treating him like he was a king. Right. And look what's happening now. Yeah. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So back to your father's sort of pleasure in life. I keep thinking of this prank where he's he uh, has a friend. They he and a friend kind of hijack a hearse, yeah. and um and and one of them gets in a coffin. Anyway, it just exactly the kind of thing you can't imagine Donald doing. There's something so humorless and kind of sterile about him. Mm-hmm. Um, is he happy? Does he think he's winning? All right, two very different questions. Okay, good and. There's no way he could be happy because the myths that have been created about him and that he's perpetuated and believes about himself are always in constant danger of disintegrating. And on some deep level, he knows that. So, you know, he's very much uh, always living in the moment, you know. Uh, so how how can you be happy? He And again, he has no interests other than golf. Which I mean, if I play, if I did any one thing as much as he played golf and was still and never improved at it, I mm. I would be miserable. Yeah. And also, how can you be happy if you don't laugh or appreciate humor? And you know th- what that says to me, because my grandfather also didn't laugh, is that laughing mm. is to make yourself vulnerable. You know, mm. it's to let down your guard in some way. It's to lose a little bit of control. And um, that can't happen. <laughs> you know, that is not allowed to happen. So, um, so no, I, I don't believe he's happy or unfortunately, I don't believe he's capable of being happy because it you know, it wasn't something to aspire to in my family, honestly. I think that the, the question only seems important because in your kind of assessment of his psychology and then, and, and someone like Bandy Lee talking about him, he's not a person who, though he's not happy, he's not a person who would seek therapy. He's not something, someone who would get a diagnosis from a doctor. He can instead have his mental capacities evaluated from a distance. Um, but it seems unlikely that he would ever want to kind of go inside, even if it on the promise that it might make him happier does that seem true? Well, imagine how terrifying. Yeah, imagine how terrifying that inside is. Oh, I can't. Right. I think your point that he doesn't sleep very much and that he's chronically sleep deprived, which also Dave Eggers made on this a point he made on the show. He 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 thought that, like you, that there's something about how little he sleeps. Maybe he just gets no 
REM sleep to process what's happened to him. I'm just guessing, but there's mm-hmm. something to that point that he's sleepless all the time. All right, now to does he think he's winning? Because what's galling to in watching him is he thinks, you know, like like a person on Adderall or cocaine or something, or he seems to think, even though he's so cruel, even though he's falling in the polls, even though he's not as healthy as he or smart as he thinks he is, it just is annoying and and just vex, vexing that he seems to act like he's a winner. He he doesn't have a choice. Yeah, and that goes way back. So, does he think he is? He has to think he is, yeah. you know, it, and it's, it's again, I apologize. I can't remember the, the psychologist's name, but he referred to Donald as the episodic man. And, ah. oh wait, he, you had him on your show. The episodic man. Yeah. The strange case of Donald Trump, I think was his book. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I will look back at that. Yes. And, and I thought, you know, I thought that that was a really interesting uh, way to frame him, but you know, but it's not that he doesn't have a, a story, you know, an arc. The problem with Donald is that it's, it, it only lasts like a millisecond, you know, and it's the story he tells himself is I won, I'm winning, I'm going to win. Yeah. And that just gets recycled in every moment. And that's why he's so defensive and he it employs so many defense mechanisms against anything that would c- contradict his truth. And what if he gets a like a cold shudder? I mean there are there must be some people among your your uncle, your other uncle and your aunts or your cousins or just someone that has some intimation that there's a better way or mo- more honest way to live. Trump does not seem to have that intimation. I mean, is there no part of him or maybe Tiffany or Baron who just, you know, sees a movie or has for a second an idea that there's a goal of honesty and integrity in this life and has at least a shudder of thinking, wow, I don't live that way. Does do any of your family or aside from you or or does Trump himself, would he ever be vulnerable to something like that? Donald, no. Um, I think I think we get, I think that's pretty clear by now. Uh, unfortunately for us, yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think yeah, I think there are people in my family. I, you know, I can't really speak to my cousins with any particular insight because I don't know them any better than than anybody else. They're much younger than I am, so yeah. we didn't grow up together. You know, Donnie's twelve years younger, Ivanka's sixteen years younger. Um, so we didn't really cross paths except at holidays and you know, obviously, uh, with that age difference, um, and my family didn't exactly try to bring us all together. So, <laughs> but you know, I, I think Robert is very much like Donald okay, in a lot of ways, but yeah, I think, I think there are other people who have the capacity, but because other lessons were learned that sort of overrode those instincts they had or those inherent capacities that they just don't take hold you know um Mm -hmm. essentially an act of kindness can easily be undone like if you you know if if you're generous to somebody and then they cross you in some way or they look at you funny i mean the act of kindness goes out the window and any Hmm. sense of caring goes out the window and you're, you're left, um, you know, completely at their mercy. 
So it's almost as if they're those impulses towards kindness. They're very self-conscious about them and almost feel guilty about them. Ah, wow. As signs of weakness. Mm -hmm. So as you may know from a piece I wrote about this, your book in the LA Times, which I hugely admire. Thank you. I did find the book unspeakably bleak. It's like Frank McCourt's memoir of his <laughs> abject poverty. I, I mean, it's probably more depressing, more grueling than yeah. that, even though I think they were like scraping flour off other people's floors yeah. to make Irish soda bread. Um, the one that brought me to serotonin zero was your observation that the Trump signature dish, I can hardly say this, <laughs> is iceberg <laughs> lettuce and mashed potatoes. Please help me. I mean, you just <laughs> dropped that point in and I just I felt tears welling up in my eyes. I well, mean, yeah. Tell me about this relationship between glamour and dreariness and just absolute banality in the aesthetic of the family. Yeah, and I, I'm going to make you feel worse. Um, I didn't oh. know that there were other kinds of lettuce until I was in my 20s. <laughs> oh, my God. I swear Frank McCord had arugula before you did. Undoubtedly. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it was, I think it's it stemmed, first of all, from the fact that my grandmother was from this tiny village uh, on a tiny island off the west coast of, northwest coast of Scotland, and was an awful cook. You know, like we had rice out of a box, and which is fine, you know, but she still couldn't cook it properly. And just, you know, Russian dressing, hysterically enough, was a really big thing. And it was the Russian dressing that's basically mayonnaise, ketchup, and relish mixed together. Yeah. So yes. I think part of it is that my grandfather didn't really care. Like, he was a man of very basic appetites. You know, give mm-hmm. him a raw steak and a bone to chew on, and that's, 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 that's all he needs, right? So... Yeah. It's not really surprising that that people in that family would grow up to be feeling starved, you know. Yeah. Um, they were, and that's, that's what's so weird. They were, even with all of that money, like not Donald, but certainly Marianne and my dad, they were starved of everything. So after Trump praised Gil- or sent his love to Gillian Gil- Maxwell oh, yesterday, the Epstein accomplice, yeah. I started thinking again about, sadly, why do I do this to myself? Your uncle's sexuality, just because that's where I go. Um, and, it, you know, what's amazing to him for, for a self-described womanizer is that he's like a has this he he's there's no romance he enjoys women in this kind of sadistic connoisseurship of describing their bodies you say Mm -hmm. he probably didn't even know your name at times and (laughs) and also would comment on your body in the access hollywood tape which is supposed to be so astounding about what a let she is the one where he says he's moving on nancy odell like a bitch Mm. it's always amazed me that his chief romantic move is to take her shopping for furniture it's uh, like right? maybe he can yeah. buy her a living room set at Ethan Allen. It's just not exactly <laughs> erotic. And so, and what's the, so what's the deal with sexuality and the Trump men? Uh, I'll, I'll let you not think about your own father, but I mean, there's <laughs> certain like it's it's similar to the starvation around the mashed potatoes. Just no yeah. imagination, no sense of romance, nothing, nothing um, human about it. Well, th- but that's exactly right. And and you know we can look a lot of. Uh, at a lot of things this way in the context of this family. Um, There's something that, you know, an activity or a need that all 
human beings share, but for them, the actual human element of the need or the activity is completely elided. So the thing that makes it actually worth having doesn't exist for them. So, right. So say more about that. That's it. So for women, because my grandfather had a bit of a reputation too, it's, it's the objectification of them as objects to be taken, controlled. Um, and I think that's part of, you know, it's, it's not so much about the physical pleasure as it is about, you know, the control or the getting away with something. But then it's also this weird way he has certainly, and I, I don't know about my grandfather, but of, you know, reducing women to their parts yeah. So like he can't even see them as as fully whole human beings. Yeah. And how can you engage in any substantive, interesting, romantic, loving way with somebody if that's that's the only perspective from which you I, I can't even say see them, but you know, experience them. Yeah. Okay. I have to t- get you to say at least one thing about the badly installed AC window units yeah. in one of the apart- Trump apartments you grew up in. Mm-hmm. Just because that seems to describe everything. You grew up in the Trump protectorate, but you were totally unprotected and then disinherited. Yeah. Your own father, his 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 brother and father wouldn't even give him an, an apartment with integrity that wouldn't have wind whistling through it. How did that happen? As soon as my dad came back from uh, Marblehead, you know, at, and this is one of the great tragedies. His his career at TWA lasted for four months um, before yeah. my grandfather broke him. Um, he was he didn't matter anymore. You know, he he was a punching bag, um, and somebody who wasn't worth worthy of consideration. So then, neither could anybody attached to him. Uh, because of course, after my parents got divorced, we continued to live in that building and in that apartment. Uh, so, and I had the same situation with an air conditioner in my room, you know, <laughs> so they just, we weren't, you know, my dad wasn't contributing in the way that he was, um, you know, divinely supposed to. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, He needs to be erased and therefore anybody coming from him needs to be erased. And that's, that's actually what they ended up doing. Thank you so much for being here, Mary, and for speaking up about your family in such an enlightening way. We'll just keep our fingers crossed in November and you and I'll stay in touch. Exactly. This was so awesome. What a great interview. Thanks for joining. I really appreciate it. Mary Trump is the much in demand author of Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man. That's it for today's show. What'd you think? Give us your five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. And then come at us on Twitter. I'm at page 88. The show is at Real Trumpcast. And don't stop there. Subscribe to Slate Plus. You hear about these podcast services. They're $35 a month. Guess how much Slate Plus is? $35 for the first year. That's right. Plus members get all of Slate's podcasts ad-free. Only $35 for the first year. Yes, I'm repeating it. Best of all, you'll be supporting our work. So go to slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus. 
Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan and engineered by Richard Stanislaw. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. You must be exhausted, but you're doing great in all these interviews. And this one was clearly the best. Of course. I agree with you. It was, <laughs> this was, no, I mean, I love the way you approach things. It's so interesting and it, you know, it keeps people on their toes and it, I, I loved it. I'd love to come back sometime if you'd have me. And- oh, good.